Well, hey, we are continuing our epic study through the book of Matthew, okay, all right? So if you have a Bible, open it, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 9. That's page 1,508 in that book rack Bible. Everyone have a Bible. The Word of God is so precious to us. And then also you may want to pull out that little outline, a little outline there in your bulletin. You might want to take a few notes here as we go along. So this morning we get to study one of my favorite miracles in all of the Bible, and that's the miracle of Jesus healing the paralytic. And we're going to learn about how God works in our lives. You know, God is at work in everyone's life here. Well, I'd like you to turn to your neighbor right now and just say, God is at work in your life. Just say that to them. Go for it. Come on. Cut loose. That's right. The question is how? How does God work in our lives? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that we are all paralytics. That's right. We're going to read about this paralytic, but all of us here are paralytics. All of us are facing some form of paralysis this morning. To be paralyzed is to be stuck, is to be, you know, set, you're unmovable, you're confined. You're unable to move forward or back. You're just stuck. And some of us feel stuck in our marriage. We never thought our marriage would be like this. What? Or with our family or a situation with our finances. You never, your career, you never thought you were saying, you can't get out of this. What's going on? This isn't fulfilling. Maybe it's a relationship. You just, wow. Life has paralyzed you. You never saw this coming. Maybe it's emotionally. Maybe it's spiritually. With God, who is God? Does God love me? If so, why all this is happening, you know? I feel stuck and you're with God. Maybe physically. Some years back ago, I was invited to help a friend move. And so I showed up. I go, where, where do you want me to begin? He goes, go to the backyard. There's a shed. There's a weight, uh, you know, a bunch of weights there. Move them to the front yard. So I went in the back and, and, and picked up. It was just like a 10-pound weight. I bent down like this, picked it up, and I felt crack lower back. And this searing pain that literally brought me to my knees like this. And I literally, I remember I couldn't move, and I crawled all the way from the backyard to the front yard like that. And everyone was like, what's up, dude? And then I crawled inside the house and went into a bedroom that they had cleared out already. And I mean, the, the pain was just growing, increasing. I could feel my body going into shock. It was unbelievable. And they were going, Mark, we need to, like, call an ambulance. And I, I wasn't that bad at that point because I said, no, that costs money. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then, uh, but it got worse. And finally I said, get me to the hospital. And how? I couldn't move. I just couldn't. It was too painful to move me. So I said, take the door off the hinges. They took the door. They rolled, took me 15 minutes to roll me on the door. And then they couldn't get the door out the door. <laughs> now what do we do? They brought me out the window. They, they put me in a van, rushed me to the hospital. The doctor takes one look at me. I mean, I am just, and, and then he brings out, he turns around, he comes back, brings this out, big old shot, big old needle, you know, one of those needles. And I'm like, give it to me, doc, give it to me. I had never been so desirous of that needle before in my whole life. And I remember he plunged it into my back, and I mean like, yes! That's how I spell relief. Praise the Lord. Pastor on drugs to the glory of God, you know. <laughs> I was feeling good, baby. I was feeling good. This morning, my prayer for you is that this message, the Word of God, will be like a powerful dose of medication given to you. 
in your paralysis, whatever it is, the Word of God would do its work in such a powerful way in your life. You see, because when you're paralyzed, you need Jesus and you need a miracle. Some of you have come here because you need a miracle. You've come to the right place. Let's read about it. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. I want you to envision yourself being this paralytic. You're on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up. Take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. Would you join me in a little word of prayer? Lord Jesus, you reveal yourself to us as the miracle worker. And Lord, you're going to teach us this morning how you work the miraculous in our lives. So have your way in our lives today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I look at this narrative here. I see five movements, simple movements. Out of these five movements come five principles, five ways that God works the miraculous in our lives. And we'll just take them one at a time. Number one is this. I see when Jesus is present, a miracle is possible. I mean, if Jesus isn't present, no miracle, right? But if Jesus is present, a miracle is possible. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yeah. And guess what? He's present. So a miracle is possible even here. But you look there in verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Now, Jesus is in a boat. Why? Well, he was just in the area of the Gadarenes. Here's a picture. When I was in Israel back in May, I took this. The Gadarenes is on the east side there of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where Jesus cast out these demons out of these two men showing that he has power over the demonic world. Prior to that, he healed or he calmed the storm, showing he has power over the physical elements. And we're going to see Jesus' power manifest in a different way in the miracle that we're going to look at this morning. But he gets in the boat, and he's going to come, it says here, to his own town, which is Capernaum, which is on kind of the north, kind of west side of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was his hometown at this point. Actually, he grew up in Nazareth. He got kicked out of there, born in Bethlehem, right? Grew up in Nazareth, got kicked out of there. And his, his base for ministry in Galilee was Capernaum. Now, the greatest thing about Capernaum on this day, some 2,000 years ago, is that Jesus was present. He came home, and there was a man there, a paralytic, who's in desperate need of a miracle. You see, when Jesus is present, a miracle can happen. Does Jesus do miracles today? Absolutely, he does. Are you kidding me? This is who he is. I love Job 9.10. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Uh, in the New Testament, it records 37 different miracles that are recorded. We know he did many other miracles that aren't recorded, and he continues to do miracles today. The Bible says in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He did miracles then. He does miracles today, and miracles, they're happening all around us all the time. It's just sometimes we get blind to them. They're, sometimes we, we, they're, they're so obvious, we, we just kind of get blind. 
Like, for example, right now, you feel like you're, you know, stable, you're not moving or anything. But that is an illusion of miraculous proportions. Because right now, the earth is spinning on its axis. Axis at a speed of 1,000 miles per hour. 1,000 miles per hour. We are spinning right now through space. And we are also traveling through space right now along. We're spinning, but we're also traveling through space space at 67,108 miles per hour. That's, a, that's just not like a speeding bullet. That's 87, 87, time, 87 times faster than the speed of sound. That we're traveling through space. And, and, and Jesus keeps it all under control. And for those of you who are like this type A personality, you got to get something done every day, just remember, don't forget this, that you've traveled through space in one day just an average of 1,559,793 miles. You've gotten a lot done today, okay? You know, just so you know. See, this is God doing miracles in the physical realm, but then there are miracles as he's sustaining creation. It's happening all the time. There's hundreds of them. But then there are times Jesus does miracles by intervening in creation, among his creation, like he is doing in the miracle we're going to see right now. But the first thing I see is that how does God work the miraculous in our lives? When Jesus is present, miracles possible. Second thing is this. Sometimes God uses friends to bring us to Jesus, the miracle worker. Have you noticed this? And I love this about the text. It says, some men brought to him, to Jesus, a paralytic lying on a mat. Some men. Now we're told these are four men. We know they're four men because Mark 2 and Luke 5 tells us that. Four of his friends, presumably, could have been four of his relatives. We're not sure. We're not even sure a lot about this paralytic, although the extent of his paralysis, you know, it was such that he had to be carried on a mat. Was he quadriplegic? We don't know. We don't know a lot about him. We really don't. Luke 5 tells us that when his friends brought him to this house where Jesus was, they ran into a huge problem. Because they were religious leaders and people, the Bible says, from every town in Galilee and as far as Jerusalem. And Josephus tells us there were 206 Galilean towns at that time. Uh, it was a Jewish historian, Josephus, and tells us there were all these towns. And you have dozens and probably hundreds of religious leaders flocking to Jesus at this time at a house. And the house is packed. And these four friends, they're bringing their friend to Jesus and they run into a problem. They can't get in. What do you do? Well, they probably went around the back of the house. And we we know that they got up on the roof. And they begin to tear through the tiles. you got to picture this. Jesus, the greatest teacher in Israel, is preaching away. And all of a sudden, you know, debris is starting to fall. And all of a sudden, this dude is being lowered, you know. Four ropes, I'm picturing each guy. They're lowering him, you know. Imagine that scene. And I've often thought about this paralytic. One day we're going to meet him in heaven. But, but what was he thinking? Was he reluctant? Was he willing? Was he like up there going, dudes, don't do this. I mean, you don't need to do this. Seriously. How was he feeling? Was he self-conscious? Was he embarrassed? You see, the, the thought of the day, the belief of the day was that his condition was a result of his sin. It was a false teaching, but it was the predominant teaching. And he's, imagine, as he's being lowered, what is he doing? Is he like, you know? What's he thinking? Some of you, a friend may have brought you here. And you're here among all these people. You never thought you'd be in church today. How are you feeling? 
How are you feeling about how God sees you and Jesus sees you? Oh, I've got good news for how God and Jesus sees you. Oh, it's good. We don't know what this guy was thinking. We do know this. Four friends loved him enough to bring him to Jesus, the miracle worker, and it was powerful and a miracle is going to take place. Question. In your life, has God used or is he using right now a friend or people to bring you to Jesus? See, this is how God works the miraculous in our lives. He loves you. He reaches out to you. Has he been reaching out to you recently or in the past? Because he wants to do a miracle in your life. Wow. On July 19th, I came home from church. And there's always young people in our house. We got three boys. And there's a young lady who I'd never met before. Her name's Tess. And I think she's here this morning. Tess, where are you at? She's 21. Stand up, Tess. Come on, stand up, girl. Come on, stand up. There's Tess. Give her a hand. So Tess is just sitting at our dining room table. And she starts telling me about her friend Shannon, who's my son Luke. It's his girlfriend, Shannon. Shannon, you know, is friends with Tess. And Shannon's been inviting Tess to all these things at church. And Tess is telling me the story of how she's meeting all these people. And, and she went to Hume Lake. Shannon brought her to Hume Lake. And she's talking about what God's doing in her life. And I'm, it's not a secret when God's doing a miracle in someone. You can see it. And, and I said to Tess, I said, Tess, have you heard the gospel? Do you know the gospel? She's like, well, well, I'm not sure. So I took a few minutes, and I brought her through the gospel, and tears are down her eyes. She's like, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to trust him for the miracle of salvation, his forgiveness. And right there at our dining room table, we held hands, and she gave her life to Jesus, and a miracle took place in her life. And watch this, watch this, watch this. Yes, we can clap in a second. Well, we can clap right now, okay? We can't make anyone a Christian. We can't do that. But watch this. We can love them and we can bring them into the presence of Jesus who is the miracle worker who does the miracle. That's the whole point. How does God work the miraculous in our lives? When he's present, a miracle is possible. And he will use friends. Is God calling you to reach out to someone who's a paralytic that you know, who's going through a tough time and bring them to Jesus? Or is God doing that in your life this morning? That's how God works the miraculous. Let me tell you a third thing I see. There are times Jesus is moved by our collective faith to do a miracle. Now, this, this to me is amazing. You look at verse 2, and it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. When he saw their faith. That means this. Jesus sees the faith of these four men and the paralytic, and he's moved to do a miracle. I want you to understand, he did not bypass the faith of this paralytic to do the miracle of salvation and forgiveness in that man's life. We are always saved by grace through faith, always. But Jesus was moved by these four men, their faith, as well as the paralytic. And I'm sure that paralytic was moved by the love of these four men. Think of the extent these four men went to bring him to Jesus. And I'm sure every step of the way it was doing, they believed in Jesus so much that they would lower this man into Jesus, at Jesus' feet. And I'm sure that melted this man's heart and his faith began to move toward that Messiah. And it was there that a miracle took place. Matthew says Jesus saw all their faith and Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Salvation is always the sovereign work of God. But we need to remember 
God is sovereign, yes, part of his character, but God is compassionate. And God sees when his people come together and in faith believe him for a miracle. When I was 20 years old, man, I was running from God. I was so far from Jesus. And you know what my parents did? They enlisted you, this church, to pray for me. And this church, and if you were one of those, I am so grateful for you. You put me on a stretcher. And you brought me to Jesus through prayer. And you presented me before Jesus. You brought me to the feet of Jesus. And all I can say is, on July 27, 1981, a miracle happened in my life. I was the last person that should have been saved by God's grace. But God invaded my heart and the gift of salvation was given. I experienced the forgiveness of sins the greatest day in my life. And it was a result of you, this church, people loving me enough. To bring me to Jesus through prayer. So if you're a parent here this morning, you've got a son or daughter that's far from God, enlist people to pray for him or her. Bring that person on a stretcher before the Lord. You know someone who's far from God. Let me tell you, our God is a God of compassion. And this is a scripture here. How does God work the miraculous in our lives? There are times Jesus is moved by our collective faith to do a miracle. Let me give you a fourth way that the Lord works the miraculous in our lives. The miracle Jesus initially performs is sometimes not the miracle we necessarily expected, but it meets our greatest need. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but you've got to listen to every word because I chose those words. Every word is not wasted. The miracle Jesus initially performs is sometimes not the miracle we necessarily expected, but it meets our greatest need. Have you discovered that God works in miraculous kind of mysterious, sometimes unpredictable ways. You always can't figure God out. Picture yourself being there in the crowd, and all of a sudden this man is lowered before you. You know what you would expect Jesus to do? He's a paralytic. He can't walk. You would expect Jesus to say, get up, son, and walk. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Why? Why do we act that way? Because we often don't see our greatest need. Often we see the only thing, the need that's before us, our physical. But Jesus looks past the physical, the temporary need of this man, and he goes right to the eternal, the greatest need of this man, and he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. Wow. The Greek word in the verb for forgiven is a femi. And it means to cast away, to send away. You see, forgiveness is the miracle, the eternal miracle, whereby all our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Where we are able to stand before a holy God and be completely accepted by him and welcomed into his heavenly kingdom one day and reign with him forever and ever. See, one day when you and I see God, and by the way, you have an appointment to meet God. There's not a human being that will never face God. We're all going to face God. That's what Hebrews 9.27 says. It's been appointed for man once to die, and then the judgment. We will see God. You will see God. And I want to tell you, the only thing that's going to matter when you see God is this. Have you experienced the greatest miracle a human being can experience? The forgiveness of your sins. That is all that's going to matter to you in that moment. And that's why Jesus looks past the temporary need and he goes right to the eternal, the greatest need in this man. I don't know what you think is your greatest need, but I'll tell you right now, your greatest need is forgiveness. You have a sin problem. Your greatest need is that that sin 
be forgiven. You do not want to have the experience of Matthew chapter 7 that we studied a few weeks ago where Jesus said, many will say to me on that day when we face God, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you apart from me, you evildoers. You're an evildoer. You never had your sin forgiven. You never experienced the greatest miracle a human being could experience. Wow. One of the doctrines that drives me nuts as a pastor, that is a false teaching that's out there, is the doctrine of annihilation. That once you die, that's it. No, 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 no. Once you die, life begins. Do you understand that? You are made in the image of God. You are an eternal being. You will never not be. This is not reality. This is a blip on the scope of eternity, your life right now. You will always exist. The question is where. You will exist, I share this with you in love, in heaven or hell based on have your sins been forgiven or not. That's it. That's the bottom line. Your greatest need is to experience the miracle of forgiveness. And Jesus cuts through all of it and he goes right to the core issue and in love does a mighty, mighty work in this man. And if you've experienced your forgiveness Jesus forgiving you of your sin, you've experienced the greatest miracle ever in your life. There's no greater miracle than that. And you have that. That is something that's awesome. And maybe you've come to this service. You're crying out for God to do a miracle. I just want to share with you, the miracle that Jesus may want to do in your life is not the one you expect. He's wanting to do something far greater. He's wanting to address the eternal issue in your life. He's wanting to do a miracle in the area that is your greatest need. I love C.S. Lewis said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts to us in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What's C.S. Lewis saying? He's saying this. You know, when life's going good, God just kind of whispers at a distance. Sometimes we hear him, sometimes we don't. But all of a sudden, when there's pain in our life, it's like there's a megaphone. And guess what? Sometimes the only time God can get our attention to where he can do the miracle because he needs your cooperation, your faith, is that there's some pain in our lives. So if you're paralyzed, know there's a God who loves you, who's bringing you here, and the miracle he may want to do is not the one you think you need because that's far less, that's temporary, but he wants to address the eternal. That's how he works in our lives. Let me give you a fifth way that God works in our lives. The miraculous. He is always wanting to teach us something about himself when a miracle takes place. Watch this. Miracles are not about you. When God does a miracle, he does it for his own glory. He's wanting to teach us something about himself. Miracles are signs. They point to something about God. So if you've experienced a miracle in your life, and I believe we all have, the reason why God allowed you to experience that is so that you would learn something about God and never forget that something about God. They're that special. So the question becomes, you know, why was Jesus, uh, why did he do this miracle? What does he wanted to teach the disciples and the Pharisees and this man and us who are studying this passage? What was the purpose of this miracle? Well, the purpose is not revealed yet because the miracle isn't finished. It's a two-part miracle. He's just done part one. Part two is on the way. Notice the drama that unfolds, though, from part one of the miracle. If you know this story, you know what's coming. I mean, the, it hits the fan. Look, if you would, at verse three. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, after Jesus said, your sins are forgiven to this man, 
They said, this fellow is blaspheming. Blasphemy that Jesus would forgive this guy his sin. Why were the Pharisees and religious leaders saying that? Well, a couple reasons. First, the universal belief of the Pharisees in that day was that sickness is always a result of that person's sin. Always. And how dare Jesus forgive that man his sin with a word when you need to work for your sins to be forgiven? The Pharisees held a lot of works righteousness going on in their life, and that's what made them, quote, righteous before God. And for Jesus to come along and just, you know, forgive the guy his sin, no, 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 you have to work for that. It was their false teaching held in that day, and they just couldn't get past that. And then furthermore, the Pharisees believe, and the Bible does teach this, that no one can forgive sins but God alone. I mean, how dare this guy say your sins are forgiven? Only God can say that. Jesus had dared to forgive this guy his sin. That is the prerogative of God only, and that's true. This would have been blasphemy unless Jesus is God. So the Pharisees, they, they rally, they, they put this false accusation and even slander Jesus, not realizing they had just witnessed God do what God alone has the prerogative to do, and that is to forgive someone of their sins. The Pharisees still didn't get who Jesus is. Jesus was and is God. He is the Son of God. Remember, we studied in the book of Matthew 1.21. You ought to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. They didn't get that. They couldn't see that for some reason. We even studied earlier in Matthew. I mean, Jesus was the suffering servant, the Messiah. Remember, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. It would be prophesied that this Messiah would come and do miracles, and Jesus is doing it. The whole reason he's doing miracles is to show he's the Messiah in fulfillment of Old Testament teaching, all the prophecies. And the, 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 the religious leaders, they can only see blasphemy. Now, I want you to notice, though, how Jesus responds. This is incredible. Jesus throws out two questions. The first question is directed at confronting the Pharisees' erroneous thinking. Look at what at verse 4. Knowing their thoughts, they're thinking blasphemy, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Why is this evil in your heart? You see, it's evil to be in the presence of God and not to acknowledge that God is present doing what God alone can do, and that's forgive sin. The second question is a question of grace. I mean, this is just beautiful. Jesus is reaching out to these Pharisees. This is a teachable moment. It's an opportunity for the Pharisees and all who were present, who were listening and seeing all of this to understand who Jesus is and to underscore the purpose of the miracle. And you see there in verse 5, his second question, Jesus says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Now, both require omnipotence, right? I mean, to truly, legitimately forgive someone their sin, you got to be all-powerful. To truly say, get up and walk, you got to be all-powerful. But what is easier to say? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because that's internal and invisible. But to say, get up and walk, that is visible. That would have to be on the outside, something you could prove, you could see, right? But then look, Jesus, the ultimate teacher, look what he does. He says, but, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, so that you may know I forgave that guy his sins just earlier. 
Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. (laughs) I don't know. I just love that. Can you imagine this guy on a stretcher and he just gets up? The book of Luke says immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. I just love it. He get up, and, he, and he, he, he's just praising God, and he walks out through the crowd. They're making a, you know, a hole for him, and he must have been skipping. Now, I would skip, but I'd look like a girl. I, you know, I feel like doing that, but, <laughs> but the guy's praising the Lord, just going out of there. That's amazing. Question, did the Pharisees get it? Did they put two and two together? Did they connect the dots that if Jesus can do the second miracle, the physical visible miracle, then he did the first miracle? the spiritual invisible miracle of forgiveness. I mean, you would have thought, you would think if you're a Pharisee seeing this, you go, this is the Messiah. This is the guy. Old Testament prophet, Isaiah 53, he would take away our infirmities. He is it, he is it. You would think they would have said that. But you know, the Bible doesn't say explicitly, but the context of the gospel seems to infer that the Pharisees only grew more hostile toward Jesus. What's, do, you, do you see the irony here? Do you see what's going on? The man who was obviously paralyzed goes home healed of his paralysis physically and spiritually. The men, the religious leaders, who had no obvious paralysis on the outside remained spiritually paralyzed in their unbelief. And just like people today, people can see miracles today. Jesus said, hey, even if someone rises from the dead, some still will not believe. I hope that's not you. I hope you're not one that sees all these miracles and just pushes them away. What what was the purpose? Why did Jesus, why is it in the Bible? If miracles are always put there to teach us something about God, what is this teaching us about God? We see it in verse 6. But so that you may know. This is why he did it. So that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So that you may know the whole purpose of Jesus healing this paralytic is that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus alone can solve your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is sin. And he, and he only, can solve it. He can wipe away our sins. And I thought, how can I illustrate this? I was like, Lord. And so I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to bring this over here a little bit closer. Because I know this is being videotaped, and the guys will go crazy if we don't catch, capture this. But uh, I was just like, sometimes the most profound illustrations are just simple. It's simple. So this is your sin. We all have sin. And this is what Jesus does, Afemi. He takes away your sin. He wipes it away. He removes it. The only thing that's going to matter to you when you see God is that wiped away. You know... What, 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 as you process with me, as you, what color do you see your sin? You know, we all have sin, right? What color do you see it? You know what the book of Isaiah says? It says this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be white like wool. 
he makes it clean like wool, your sin. How far will Jesus remove your sin from you when he forgives you of your sin, when you believe on him? Well, Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that great? Wow. Forgiveness is powerful. It's the greatest of all miracles. Will God actually forget, you know, my sin? I hope so, because when you see God, the last thing you want him is remembering all this. But what does the Bible say to those who are forgiven? Isaiah 43, 25, even I am he who blots out your your transgression for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. Wow. Now, I want you to know something about, notice something about the limitation of Jesus' miraculous power to forgive our sin. Limitation. Look at verse 6. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive our sins. You see, while you are on earth, Jesus has the authority to forgive your sins. While you are still breathing, he has the authority to forgive your sins. When you die, it is too late for that miracle. It's too late. Now is the time to experience the miracle of Jesus' forgiveness, you know. Um, I picked up this book just recently on vacation, read it about Steve Jobs. Never read a book about Steve Jobs. Fascinating guy. I mean, your iPhone, Apple computer, right? The guy basically invented the computer. Pixar, a brilliant guy, incredible leader. And I'm reading through this book, and I'm just really, I was actually in Hawaii at this time, and I could not put the book down. I read it from my balcony, the whole book. And, and, and you come to the back, and it's milestones, and it's 17 pages of what this guy accomplished in his life. And I read every single line. And as I'm reading, I'm falling more and more in love with this guy. I'm going, what an inspirational guy. And then I come to the very last page, and it says this, Steve Jobs dies October 5. And right then, I, I remember looking up, and I looked at the horizon, and I said out loud to God, I go, oh, God, I pray that Steve Jobs experience the miracle of your forgiveness. Because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit your soul? God loves you. Has he brought you here to experience the greatest of all miracles? Wouldn't you want to just walk from this service like this paralytic? Now notice the paralytic, how he responds to what Jesus does in his life. This is powerful. Jesus said, get up, take your mat, and go home, verse 7. At, and the man got up, and he went home. He simply got up, and he did what Jesus asked him to do. He went home, praising the Lord, right? Now watch this. Maybe you've never thought about this before, but this man would have never, ever, 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 ever questioned his forgiveness, ever. You want to know Why? Because he was the recipient of two miracles, and the second miracle validated the first. You got to think about this man hearing these words from Jesus. Read it, you know, pretend like you're the man. Verse 6, but so that you may know, young man, that I have the authority to forgive your sins, young man, so that you know that the miracle I did earlier in your life is real, that your sins are truly wiped away, get up and walk. Every time this man would have walked from then on out, every time he took a step, the second miracle validated the first miracle. And guess what? It's the same in your life. If you're a Christian, you've had two miracles. Jesus Christ has forgiven you. 
You have a new life. And every time you followed God, every time you walk in obedience, which is also a miracle, that does not nothing but validates the first miracle that truly you have experienced forgiveness. The second validates the first. That is the same in your life as well. And you never have to doubt that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins. It's a wonderful truth. Notice how the crowd responds. And this is awesome in verse 8. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. They see the whole thing, and they're filled with awe and praise. What a great way to live life. When God does a miracle in your life or a miracle in someone else's life, you praise God, you're in awe. This is an amazing question. I'm talking to Christians now. Christians like me who maybe 20 years ago received the forgiveness of sins. I don't know when it is for you, but that was the greatest day of your life. No day greater than that. Has there been gratitude and awe and praise in your heart because of that miracle? You experienced and have been the recipient of the greatest miracle anyone could experience. Do you sing praise to God for what he's done in your life? Do I, like David said there in Psalm 51, you need to go back and discover the joy of your salvation, beloved. What a great way to live life. You see, we're all paralytics. Life has a way of paralyzing us. I don't know what your paralysis is today, what brought you here, what's going on in your life, but I'm telling you, there's a God who works the miraculous. You want to know how he works the miraculous? He does it in the same way he did it 2,000 years ago and in every other person's life since then. He does it the same way he worked a miracle in that, that man's life. He's doing it in your life and wants to do it in your life. You know how he does it? When Jesus is present, a miracle is possible, and he is present this morning. Sometimes God uses friends to bring us to Jesus, the miracle worker. Has God been doing that, bringing some strange person invited you to church? Let me tell you, that's God at work. He's reaching out to you. That's what God does. That's how he works. There are times Jesus is moved by our collective faith to do a miracle. Yes, God responds with compassion to our collective faith. And the miracle Jesus initially performs is sometimes not the miracle we necessarily expected, but it meets our greatest need. The eternal need is greater than anything else that's going on temporarily in our lives. And Jesus has always wanted to teach us something about himself when a miracle takes place. What is it that this miracle teaches us about God? That Jesus categorically has the authority to forgive you all your sin, to wipe it away for all eternity by his grace. It's awesome. I love Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You will again have compassion on us. There's a God. He has compassion on you. He knows everything about your life. He has compassion on you right now. And you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That's what God does to our sin. A fame. He removes it. He hides it in the depth of the sea. And why, by the way, the deepest part of the sea is the Mariana Trench. It's 36,070 feet below sea level. God puts your sin there that deep. And then he puts up a sign that says, no fishing. <laughs> it's buried. It's gone. A fame taken from you. A few weeks ago, I was at home and I needed to have some work done on our garage door. It needed to be repaired so the guy shows up. 21-year-old guy, and he's working, and, and I kind of get him going, and then I went upstairs, continued to study, and the Holy Spirit said, Mark, 
you need to go down there. You never know what I might do. And I said, okay, Lord. He went down there and just kind of started a conversation while he's working. And then it came to me. And he, so he goes, Mr. Tyler, what do you do? You got to love that question, huh? <laughs> I said, well, I'm a pastor. And I've never had this reaction before. He, he looked at me and he goes, I know nothing about God. I went, wow. His name was Scott. And I said, Scott, I go, how about you finish the work? And, and then I just take five minutes and I share with you a little diagram that explains who God is and his message to you. Would, you. would you be open to that? And he goes, yeah, I really would. By the way, you come to Seminar 401, I'll teach you how to do this diagram. <laughs> you should know how to share your faith and effectively do so. So anyway, uh, we go through this little diagram and it just kind of is the gospel message. And you can tell God's at work in this guy. I mean, the tears are welling up. And uh, Scott goes, man, I would like to ask Jesus to be my Savior and Lord, to experience that forgiveness. I, I can't believe this is in the Bible. That's what he said. So we prayed. And he put his faith in Christ. At the end of that prayer, he, he looks up at me and he goes, man, I feel great. That's what he said. And I go, of course you do, because you've just experienced the greatest miracle any human being on earth can experience, the forgiveness of all of your sins. You can have that today as well. Let's pray.